anyway, as I was saying before we started, I've been trying to broaden my uh, like broaden my podcast mm-hmm. vocabulary. Like vo- yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying new podcasts and new subjects that uh-huh. you know I I haven't previously been exploring. And there are so many podcasts. I realized, Dave, this this is just a long way for me to congratulate us <laughs> on doing it the right way. Yeah, because the more that I listen to more of them, the more I realize that like there actually is like very few people have good podcast etiquette. Yeah, and it's really it's hard to weird. and it's hard to listen to and admires yeah. like otherwise interesting topics. I know, and it's crazy. I mean, this is exactly what I ran into when we first started, and then we realized that there were like two other, I think, Nicolas Cage podcasts, and we were like. And I think uh, there was a third that yeah. only got a couple episodes in. There were multiple of yeah, them. Yeah, but I listened to them and they sucked. Like, they're just not fun to listen to. Again, I don't know who listens to Are any us. of them still around? Do you keep... I purposely I, no, don't I listen. No, I don't. I don't want to listen yeah, to them. Right, I don't right. want them to taint my uh, my own journey. There's but, also a couple other podcasts, like, I know How Did This Get Made does it, and there are a few others that have done particularly bad Cage movies, and I yeah. always avoid listening to Same. those before we've done our own episode. Same. I mean, not to just self-congratulate at the top of the episode, but I still, I mean, I was thinking about this also that I I feel like we're accomplishing our mission of like actually taking Cage seriously and yet not too seriously because you Because he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but but, uh, at least approaching this from like an interesting interesting angle and uh, it's really paying off. And I feel like this... This movie in particular uh, is an example of it paying off, of like the journey being good. Oh, yeah. kinds of movies, experimented with different styles of uh, film performance. I call Western Kabuki a little larger than life, more Baroque. And I I had taken a year off and I wanted to be very selective and try to find a character that I could invest all the the, the wisdom from some of the mistakes I'd made in the past. Not have to act so much, not be more emotionally naked, uh, not put things on top of performance, but take things off. And when I read the script, I immediately connected to it. I read the book twice. I flew out to Austin, Texas, and I met with David, and I was just so enthusiastic. So is this character more like you than previous roles? Well, it's interesting because when my wife saw the movie with me in Venice, she said, well, that's you. And I was like, wow, my wife thinks that's me. I guess that's as close as I've gotten to myself in a movie. There you go. Yeah. And I, I also read and I read something where they, they quoted him as saying that this was very close. He didn't feel like he was acting much like this. The characterization was very close to yeah. him. Yeah. I, um, and it comes through. It basically is with the exception of, again, a shoddy accent, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, but I mean, you can see it's, it's a pretty subtle performance except in like the obvious scenes where he, I, you know. I would go as far to say as I think this is one of his best performances. Oh, I want a hundred percent of all time of all time. And definitely within the last couple of years. Oh, easily. But I, I mean, even like if I was trying to think, cause part of why I, why he's such a good subject for this podcast for any podcast is because he experiments with, I guess what, film performance is what acting is and what it what it looks like i mean he refers to western kabuki is how he defines what he's been doing and then he calls it baroque uh, right after that it's like okay sure Um, sure. i mean again like yeah he's very self-aware and uh that's i love that um but like this is the type of this is like when people say like Nicolas Cage can't act. This is the kind of acting that they're talking about him not being able to do. And and he, he is amazing. I think like I, I would stack this next to, uh, leaving Las Vegas or, uh, adaptation 
being, I guess, like two obvious touchstones of like right. really good acting. But both of those performances are a lot showier. Yeah, definitely. And like, and I feel like those characters are further af- afar from Cage himself than this yes. one is. Yeah, and this is the kind of acting that, like, were this, I think, a, a bigger movie, the Academy, I could have seen the Academy at least throwing him like a nomination for this. Uh, and I think the only reason that it didn't is because both Cage and David Gordon Green were at like weird points in their career arc that the Academy wasn't really going to to recognize. Yeah, them. and I think really at its heart, this movie is too experimental mm. to really appeal to yeah, that probably. kind of mainstream criticism. I mean, it's not... You know, it's not like a Terrence Malick movie. Like, right. it's not like that kind of experimental. But there is something about the way that the the camera movement and the way the characters talk and move through the frame, it's, it's like a dance or a ballet yeah. almost, you know? Yeah. Like, there are seemingly extraneous things like scenes, multiple scenes of people just going through their daily routine of, like, deforesting mm-hmm. some spot in the American South. It's kind of ambiguous where they are. Do they ever yeah, say exactly get, where well, they I are? Well, I guess it's supposed to be around in Texas, but, okay. but it's not, it's right. No, they don't make it. But clear. you know, there's, the, there's, there's these long sequences of, of, you know, really salt of the earth, like blue collar, lower class people just going through the daily right. motions that are, that's imbued with the sense of like raising it to almost poetry yeah. in in how simplistic it is. Yes, but but not in a Terrence Malick way. Right. Like it it it's poetic. Yeah, I realize the way I described it actually made it sound like a Terrence Malick movie. Right. It's like like but, it's Badlands or something. Well, yeah, but, but it's, it's well, it's hard to kind of define this because like it it is poetic, but it's not um, delicate. Yeah, and it uh, feels naturalistic still. Right. And, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that that he David Gordon Green cast a lot of non actors yeah. like regional just regular people from that from that part of the country. Like when I first went into the movie, I was like, oh, is this going to be one of those movies where they like exploit mm. you know average people to get some kind of. Uh, like authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like taking a shortcut right. to authenticity to serve a story that doesn't really deserve yeah. it. Yeah, and as the movie progresses, luckily, I don't think that's what right. they did. But yeah, I don't know. Well, the rhythm, the rhythms of the narrative feel naturalistic, and um, like you were saying, I did we say we're talking about Joe? I don't know if we, we need to say that. <laughs> oh we're talking God. about David Gordon Green's I mean, 2014 film, Joe. <laughs> it's in the title of, the, of yeah. the thing that they clicked. So hopefully they're aware <laughs> of what they're listening to, but maybe not. Yeah. So uh, like um, talking about the way it's shot, uh, I watched an interview with Cage and, and David Gordon Green and Green talks about he's like some he rejects the the idea of being an auteur and an auteur theory. And he, and he says that some directors are perfectionists and that he thinks of himself as a momentumist where like he won't do more than three takes with a setup. I see. And, um, and if he didn't get it, then they're just going to do another setup and, and it could come through that way, which I think is why you get a lot of interesting the the each scene like the camera angles and the idea like they it flows in in a momentumistic way i think like um where it things are seemingly strung together just to create the most sort of natural flow of a scene rather than set up for any big specific acting moment yeah, and 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 I think it's because so much emphasis is put on the characterizations that they're really you feel like these people you relate to them and you feel like they're coming from a place where you can just watch them yeah. be themselves and it is still an an arresting film. Right. Well, that and that's another thing he said is that like a lot of the work that the hard work that he did was just in casting and just getting the right cast. And then you just have them playing off of each other. And yeah, I think there's like a, I don't remember who said it. There's a famous quote that said like directing is 95% casting. That's interesting. Which is, I think, especially in this case, really apparent for sure. It's interesting because you can tell that on set 
it was a very like improvisational. Mm-hmm. I know we say this a lot with Cage's performances, but it was it almost felt like a kind of jazz. Yeah, yeah. You know where I could feel the push and pull of the actors with each other and with the, the script and especially with the director mm-hmm. and kind of trying to find an organic like Venn diagram where all the strengths of these yeah. three things can come together and really elevate the final product above the sum of its parts. And the thing that I think he did that, that green did that was really interesting was on set. It had that kind of improvisatory feel improvisational mm-hmm. feel, but then you can see in the editing how he injected his point of yes. view into it to kind of bring it together under, you know, the umbrella of whatever he right. decided it would already be. There was a lot of slow motion. There was a lot yeah. of really atmospheric soundtracks that were just kind of following characters, yeah. doing mundane day-to-day things. And it's not heavy-handed. It's not showy, but it is... The editing is great. It's amazing. It's really good. And I think that in a movie like this where a lot of it comes from the momentum, mm-hmm. like you were saying, yeah. it is super important to have a director and an editor that can impose order on the on the chaos. Because this movie, if handled differently, could have been right. a train wreck to try to watch. Yeah. Well, two things. Like Ty Sheridan, who plays the... Uh, Gary, the young the the young man who uh, the other lead in the movie um, had previously worked with what's his name J- Jack Nichols or something on it's a movie called Mud. Oh, the, oh, with, uh, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, it that, it's I liked it a lot. Yeah. It's been a couple years, but I would I would recommend it. In, Again, it, another like career defining McConaughey performance. I, I think, yeah, yeah, definitely, and it, it has some similarities to this one uh, in the sense that it's you know like young kind of white trash teenagers mm-hmm. befriending someone in the community that is kind of an anti-hero but sort of teaches it's them it's, it's, yeah still. it's sort of like a father figure coming of age thing anyway i it, it's a good movie yeah and and he was saying that that movie was very controlled that they he had this script that was very tight and he wanted it to, you know he saw it in his head whereas green uh, yeah let them improvise a lot more and and the cage said that the way that they that David Gordon Green likes to shoot is he is that they do one take by basically by the script. Then they do another take where they just throw it all away and do something completely different. And then they do a third take where they come back to the script. And I think that's fascinating. And Cage was referring in in specific to like, I think the scene where the sh- the sheriff kind of comes and sits down at his table and talks with him. And he's like, you got to stop punching out cops. <laughs> you to stop fist fighting <laughs> cops. <laughs> and, and That the, sheriff is so nice. He could have arrested him like four times prior to that. Yeah. But instead he has a talk with him about. He's like, how do you, down. how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I heard you have a grandson. Um, by the way, the sheriff uh, was uh, the guy who plays the sheriff is David Gordon Green's next door neighbor. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> um, j- just another just dude. But uh, but that like Cage, Cage had more lines in that uh, scene. But in the like final cut, they're using a lot of him just like the third take of him just sort of choosing not to. It's just like reaction. Like, yeah, just reacting. Yeah, right. And it's great. And um, so I think that, yeah, that all speaks to the vibe of, of how you achieve this really specific vibe. And even though David Gordon Green rejects this auteur theory, this idea of like, this is my movie where I do all the stuff. It's like, yeah, he, he brought together, a, he had a good story. He brought together a bunch of interesting, well-cast performers and shot it in a way that let them play off of each other, let them be in the moment, and then edited it in an artful way. And you have this movie that it does feel experimental, does feel like an art film, and yet it's not an art film in capitals, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, because it, it doesn't really alienate you no. in a way that a lot of other art, like films that are have a similar tone to this right. kind of can. Again, I mean, like pick a Malick movie. Right. You know? And the narrative is sort of languorous and sort of it it's not it's not a tight narrative in the way that like I never knew what was going to happen right like there's there wasn't I wasn't like oh this is going to be that kind of story like never I I did not anticipate anything which is really refreshing and even when there are a couple scenes of really extreme violence it always gets pulled back in the next sequence yeah and so you kind of can resettle 
and you know, it's it's not just like fight after fight after mm-hmm. gunfight after you know they're chasing each other in pickup trucks. Like there are those scenes, but there is enough in between that kind of. I mean, I, I think I don't know. I think the pacing and the tone of yeah. this are just spot on. Well, the the fights feel like they. It doesn't feel like now we have a fight scene. It feels like just part of the fabric of these people's lives, and a lot of it is too. Like, not only do you see a fight, like you see Ty Sheridan like beat up that small time criminal on the bridge, and you see Cage beat him <laughs> beat him up again in the bar. You see these moments, but you also see them getting up and sort of walking away. And being like, it's just as much emphasis as just on like, okay, now the fight is done. Like, can, now, we, yeah. can we stop fight? I'm going to go now. I'm right. Do something. <laughs> the emphasis isn't just on the violence. It's on the larger fabric mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. the, just these, these characters day to day lives. I mean, that dude shoots cage like just out of nowhere when we don't even know who that character is. He just pulls up and just <laughs> like a drive by. And he just like, he just as a shotgun or a hunting rifle or something. It's a giant yeah. gun. He shoots and him he in the shoulder. Shoots him in the shoulder. One of the most brutal scenes <laughs> in maybe any movie that I've seen is the scene where Gary's father beats up that Oof. other homeless guy yeah. and steals his like alcohol. Yeah. But in, in those scenes, at least in Cage gets shot, he bandages. He doesn't call the cops. He bandages up. Right. He goes home and kind of goes about his life. And it doesn't. The film doesn't make a. It's not making a point about that in any. Like this is what's kind of hard to pin down and talk about with the film because in other films, like that moment would speak to. Um, it would be like a pivotal moment yeah, it in, would, in the character's arc or exactly. something. Exactly. It would speak to something about, oh, he doesn't care about his own life, which it kind of does, but kind of doesn't. It it doesn't put a fine point on it, I guess. It, it feels like a complicated moment in a complicated character's complicated life. You, you, you can't boil it down to something simple, I guess. Right. And No, def- yeah, definitely not. And the, the whole movie is filled with moments like that. that some of them are, feel bigger than others and some of them feel less, but it's all sort of, it's momentum. It's just the momentum of stuff building up and stuff happening. And, and by the end of the, I get into spoiler territory here, but like, the film ends with Cage's character dying and it doesn't, even that doesn't feel like this huge thing. It's just yeah. this moment that we've built up to and it just, it's shit that just happens. Not in a nihilistic way, but just in the way that like, you know, you're like, it's like, I guess this is it. I guess this is how it happened. Yeah. That was one of the most like poignant and tastefully done deaths I think mm. that I've ever seen. In yeah, a movie. I think so too. And it, that seems like a weird thing to say that it was like tastefully done, I guess. Like someone dying is never, you know, well, but it's done, but, but, but it's done like uh, without taste in almost every movie. Yeah. And, and, and especially in this one, there's no, there's no death scene. Mm. He just is, he just kind of crawls away, props himself up against the bridge and then sits there while Gary comes over and then he just, he doesn't say anything he to just him. Hugs him. He just hugs him. Yeah. And then he dies. The last thing that cage really does is he, he looks at the sheriff and it, we get a POV shot of his vision kind of blurring. And then, yeah, Gary just hugs him and we flick fade out and then it, Gary's going on with his life, seemingly going to, you know, moving on to something incrementally better, maybe, maybe more than incrementally better. And, uh, you just get, you see him getting another job and the guy's like, did, he's like, Oh, you knew Joe. Yeah. He was a good guy. It's like, yeah. yeah. And that was it, especially in small towns like this, that is how you, that is how you live on, Yeah, you yeah. know, is through the memories and how you have positively affected other people in mm-hmm. your life. And, you know, for all the, the flaws that Joe has, he really is an anti-hero. I mean, he's, he's not a bad dude, no. although there are some things in his past that are ambiguous that right. you wonder, well, why does he owe these people money? Why do they mm-hmm. want to kill him? You know, why not, does he have a, a, a son or daughter who only we only get a brief mention right. of? Right, he, he doesn't even know he has a grandson. Right, so there, you know, he's not he's not this like larger than life 
good guy. I mean, this there's not a there's not a cut and dry sense of just good and bad and and heroicism in this movie. I feel like there are themes of like fatherhood and masculinity just in general, but the film makes no, it takes no stance on it it, beyond saying, here we have a character who, Joe, who is complicated, has maybe done bad things, but the moment that we see him in his life, he is trying to keep on some sort of straight and narrow uh, to an extent and maybe and slipping as the film goes on but we see we see the effects of one inarguably positive thing of him just being a, someone who this kid can look up to and it's not done in a schmaltzy way and it's not even done like joe all joe does is just continue to be himself and, and for the most part and he, he gets this kid steps into his life who needs who needs somebody to make decisions to do to be a father to be right. a father in the like or even it, any it, parental yeah, figure to be a bare bare right. minimum of a parental figure and Joe has enough of a moral code that he makes those decisions and we see that that's enough like the the kid shows up at his house in soaking wet like wanting basically after after bringing his dad onto the job and uh having his dad just fuck it up he shows up in the cold and wet and he's like i want you to hire me again and joe not only does that but he's like gives him new clothes and drives him home it's not a big moment it's not a heroic thing to do but it's a decent thing to do yeah and i think that's the thing it's like we see a care we see how much like just decency can yeah. can do yeah that being a good person is not it's not like checking off these boxes and it's not it's not something big necessarily it's just your effect on other people and that you can i mean in in a sense this movie is about redemption without really spelling that out because like joe whatever bad things he's done we don't know and if he has which done, I, I like personally, I like that they kept it. I like ambiguous. that too. Yeah. And well, with the exception, we know he spent time in jail for assaulting an officer. Right. But, the, but other the, than that, the, it, yeah. we don't really know, you know. Well, and also like that story, it's from his point of view right. and it sounds like it was kind of fucked up. I mean, you see the cops hassling him through yeah. the whole movie for like yeah, yeah. no reason, basically. <laughs> and him, well, I think for that reason, may, probably because for that they reason. still have oh, it out okay, for yeah. him right. you know, years later. Right. And him like, you know, fighting, fighting them back and not giving into that. Yeah, I guess we, we don't know what bad things he's done. We don't see him do anything until the very end, anything that's very like a large heroic gesture, but we see how much that that changes this other person's life. And that that's, if there's a story to this movie, like that's the story. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I say that specifically because through a lot of the movie, I was kind of going like, well, what is the story here? And it's, it's just small moments. It's just the momentum. It's the momentum of these small moments. It's cool. Yeah, I think it's fresh, and I think I understand why it was like a film festival hit when yeah. it came out. Yeah, I mean, just talking about David Gordon Green for a second, like, he came onto the scene. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about his career. Could, do yeah, you have I, I know some. I, I know some. Um, I I haven't seen the movies that he was initially uh, praised for, which uh, George Washington, I think, came out in 2001. That was a big one. Uh, Snow Angels, All the Real Girls. Those were all like early 2000s and and pretty pretty big like art house films. Uh, people were people were comparing him to Malick a lot, but also he had sort of a his own take. Yeah, by his telling, those films were sort of like what does he say? It's Oh, I can't find the actual quote, but they uh, move with the cut. They have a share a sort of romanticism that the Malick movies do, and that they're they're aiming for a sort of emotional naturalism while taking sort of small town and like less yeah a, same sort of thing of like working with non actors and stuff, but um, sort of creating more romantic visions around them. So he was like kind of a darling of critics, and then he then he did Pineapple Express. 
which people were like, huh, okay. You know, st- broad stoner comedy with Franco and, uh, and Danny McBride. And uh, then Your Highness and The Sitter and, and Eastbound and Down, which is fantastic. But like, yeah, that, that, was, that was really my only, I mean, I saw, I saw Pineapple Express when uh-huh. it came out, but, but Eastbound and Down was, it has really before this been my only yeah. way of knowing who he right. is. And, and, and so like people didn't really know what to do with that. It's like, I, I think people still kind of don't know what to do with that because they're like, Oh, God forbid a director has <laughs> multiple interests and can yeah. make successful films in different kinds of genres. Yeah, like. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, they, it felt like he was stepping down, like he- Stay he, in your lane, bro. Yeah, like he, he came onto the scene and they had they gave him the laurel wreath and they said, wow, you can do this thing that like a lot of filmmakers try to do and can't do. You have your own naturalistic voice and whatever and uh, we can't wait for you to keep doing this forever. And he specifically was like, I don't- want to do that forever i want to shift around and so uh i haven't seen your highness or the sitter but i've heard they're not good so people were i think the critics were kind of pissed at him for this idea that he had this talent and he was just squandering it and uh in around 2013 2014 he did this film he did a film called uh Prince Avalanche and something called Manglethorn with Al Pacino. Whoa. Um, yeah. I want to see that. I don't know anything about those movies, but it was seen as kind of a return to form. It was not the kind of, it wasn't like, yes, like a triumph. It's like people were, I feel like. I'm just critics, imagining Pacino in a stoner comedy like Pineapple <laughs> Express. <laughs> oh, wow. This push is crazy. <laughs> I'm high as fuck. <laughs> He has great nugs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know. This was not seen as like a triumph. It, I feel like critics were like, good, good. You're doing this again. And Cage, as we've documented extensively, is like similar. Like whenever he does like a big something that critics like, he pivots and does something different. And like it seems almost like a, like he did it on like he does it on purpose. Yeah. And. Just you running down his resume, I feel like David Gordon Green is probably someone that could give a fuck what yeah. anyone else thinks about his career or his choices. And, you know, I mean, you can say what you want about the the quality of individual projects, but, I mean, that is something I think, especially in this day and age, is really to be admired. Super admirable. Yeah. And, and also, like, the privilege of... It's an admirable position to be in, too, to, like, basically make two or three films that have the critics all creaming themselves and then to just be like, now I can do whatever I want forever, and uh, it's going to be fine. David Gordon Green's a big Cage fan, apparently, which, you know, it makes sense. So he... He reached out to Cage. He wrote him a letter and sent him a, a letter to like ask if he would be in this movie. And uh, Cage left him a voicemail that he was like, "I've already read the script and I've read the book two times." Like <laughs> flying to Austin in like a week, which is cute. Cage just sounds like a uh, at the risk of repeating myself from past episodes. He just sounds like a really professional dude. Honestly, like I don't think he he got paid much for this. He got uh, he turned down. A role. Yeah, I read about read this, this in The Expendables 3 yeah. to do this movie. As well as uh, in Killing Season, which uh, is a little remembered Travolta uh, oh, wow. De Niro joint. Oh, I don't remember this at all. So, but yeah. it came out like around the time that this did. Yeah. Huh. I think it was also like direct to video. And it was being floated as like a cage Travolta team up, like a face off. Like, Oh my God. Like one of them plays, I think Travolta plays a Serbian war vet and De Niro or cage would play an American war vet and they like face off against each other. Oh wow. (laughs) Sounds pretty fun. I'm sure the final product is not not anything I want to see, but both, uh, it sounds like big paychecks at least. And talking about admirable, like, Expendables 3 is just, is like the cash in easy job for like uh, action stars of like yesteryear. And I think it would have been a big mistake, I think, for Cage to be in yeah, it. Yeah, I 100% honestly. agree. Like, yeah, yeah. It would have bought into the sort of ironic, like winky kind of vibe that those movies are going for that I don't even really think they succeed at. 
um, I don't know. Have you seen those movies? I saw the first one and it they was suck. It was not. Yeah, they shouldn't suck. Like that should be a fucking slam dunk, but like they suck. Or at the very least, they should be fun, fun. enough that you don't care they suck. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. You know? No, I don't. I don't. All I ask is that they're fun, but they they're really not fun. And they're also, like I said, it's like a graveyard for like action stars. Yeah, it, it's it's just saying like, well. I can't, this is where I'm at. Like, I mean, Bruce Willis did one and that's all I need to say. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's when you just fucking give up and Cage chose a- Schwarzenegger left Sacramento and went straight to the set the of the Expendables. So <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris, like how, yeah, whatever. Anyway, it's, I, it really speaks to his integrity. I think that he is, that he made this movie instead. Let's talk about, while I'm talking about kind of behind the scenes stuff, the scene with the snake. Yeah. You want to describe that scene? Sure. I also have a clip of what I think you're going to say. So I'll play that afterward. Okay. But basically there's a scene where, so Cage and his whole crew are doing their like poisoning trees job in, in a forest. One of the laborers like screams or yells something. So Cage runs over and there's like a, a giant poisonous snake cotton mouth the cotton mouth yeah and then cage just scoops it up (laughs) and he starts waving it around the circle (laughs) of guys standing around him and he's has like almost like a snake charmer dance you know yeah and uh, that that david gordon green definitely emphasized in like the post and the editing you know he kind of like dances around I don't remember. Well, I he's like it. talking about how poisonous it is. Right. And then he's just like, I'm not going to hurt him. I like, he's my friend. And yeah. he throws the snake away <laughs> into back into the bush. Uh, so here's a, here's a little clip that, or that I saw on a uh, behind the scenes, like interview. There was a scene where his character um, happens upon a snake in a forest. And, you know, when the snake handler comes up, he's got this, you know, nice little, rat snake or something very pleasant and then cage spies the uh, cotton mouth in the back and so he's like let me give me that so cage uses a venomous living cotton mouth as a prop in a movie uh fearlessly and a nice one you see those fangs you get bit by those you're gonna die you're gonna want to die <laughs> yeah you, well okay so not only cage sees the cod mouth and he's like he's like i want that david gordon green just says to the snake handler he's like uh is it okay if we do that use that one and the snake handler's like no i don't <laughs> i don't want to be responsible for this david gordon green is like look if you if you do this you have to promise you're not going to die and cage is like okay let's do it and the way that he described it in a couple interviews that i read is that he's he felt that the there was this general anxiety on set um, about the the scene that it was scary and that the anxiety the energy was going in the wrong way that's what he said like it, that it's go it's being directed in the wrong way and the way that he calms down on set is by doing stunts by doing like scary stunts so he wanted to use the the poisonous snake and he told David Gordon Green that he could do it when in fact, like the, his only experience with snakes was l- seeing a picture in a book that he didn't read uh, that showed a guy picking up a snake and how you do it. You like grab it from behind the head. So that was all he was working with. That is and, crazy. And so, and they do the scene and he has to like, he picks it up and he has to open its mouth. So you see the fangs and and hold it open away so it doesn't squirt its venom right. into Ty Sheridan's face. <laughs> Cage is like, yeah, I, I couldn't have lived with that, so I had to be very careful. <laughs> like, and basically, and then he has to throw it in a way that it doesn't bite him and latch onto him as he's trying to throw it away and oh kill my him. God. So. You know, I when we're talking about integrity, I don't know if that falls in. <laughs> that seems like reckless and crazy, but it's just cool. I don't yeah. know. It's just it's it's bizarre and cool, and uh, I liked it. Yeah, I did too. I thought that was a that that was an effective piece of characterization. It's great. the 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 thing that this movie does a lot that I think is really interesting is it it gives characterizations through the interactions with other characters. Yeah. You know, there's, and, there's almost no uh, exposition. Yeah. And it's really interesting the way that, you know, within, within a couple minutes of 
of the introduction of, of a new person, you already know so much yeah. about them. And it's You're solely right. through dialogue and through the way that they interact with other characters and through the way that they hold or carry themselves when they're alone on screen. There are a lot of really good moments in this movie, and I know I've said it before, but one of the things that I really enjoy from Cage in terms of acting is when he'll have these moments or scenes with himself yeah where there's no right. one else on screen where he's not engaged with another character where it's just the camera on him and it'll be tags or buttons before or after a scene or sometimes it's just a quick cut you know to show him for a couple seconds but i he's just such a pleasure to watch yeah when he's just with himself in a moment and there's a lot of those really good moments in yeah. this movie. And it's interesting th through the lens of of this be of this being the character he's played that's most like himself because it does it feels just so natural and and it is a, a pleasure to watch because it feels real. You don't see Cage acting. That's and and that's weird because <laughs> like as he, like he says he, he he rather than putting things onto the performance, he stripped things away and He's giving, he's performing, <laughs> he, he's acting the way that people want him to yeah. act. And, well, and, it's, and, like, and he's great to watch. And like, it's interesting because it's like performative naturalism. Yes. yes. Which is really, really hard as an mm -hmm. actor to do. It's really yeah. hard to do. And, and, and if you're doing it right, it does look like you're not trying at all. Right. And he, I, you don't see him try in this movie. It's really good which is really a relief after so many so much tries of him trying so hard <laughs> yeah all the time doing all the western kabuki which i i love like it's i think cage is i won't say always but he's he's usually a joy to watch but like the the things that he's had to do i mean just in the last few movies that we've been watching the most the the most like interesting thing i think he did was in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance and not throughout the whole movie, just maybe playing Ghost Rider or just having his big, like kind of classic, like cage freakouts. Like that was the most interesting thing, performative thing to watch him do. Like, uh, tre trespass, seeking vengeance or seeking justice. I mean, um, <laughs> oh, stolen. You're, you're thinking of the sequel seeking vengeance. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> it, it's like, all of that like has just not given him much that's interesting to watch to do and frozen ground and oh my god i've been thinking more about that movie since we did the episode for some reason yeah I, me too i can't shake it it's it's icky i don't know why i i can't shake it it wasn't good but i know but i still yeah think about it more you know, than i should yeah for uh, a movie that i immediately forgot about one, one thing that that movie did not to digress but like one thing that that movie did well was just the sense of place that you get the vibe of winter just closing in in like a just sort of desolate place and, yeah uh, i have an issue when filmmakers expect the location to, to do, do all the, the heavy, heavy lifting, lifting. that sure. really bothers me yeah you know it's like oh if we set it in this locale we can slip in other areas oh yeah and me it's too always immediately apparent yeah no it's it was a crutch but uh i think that's part of what stuck with me is just that uh, just seeing alaska yeah. in that. anyway i can't wait for scott walker's uh tour de force released in 2026 <laughs> dude i wonder if he went back to advertising dude i hope he's killing it in I advertising right well. now i know <laughs> so i wrote a couple things down yeah just some just a couple just points about bits. joe that i want to bring mm -hmm. up I think rain and wetness is used to really good effect mm -hmm. in, in a lot of the scenes to kind of set the mood and also, you know, inform the scene, but it's not like it's always raining in every scene. Like some movies use that as like a shorthand, right. which this doesn't, but I think it's effective when it does. Mm -hmm. for, for some reason I, I wrote down that like cage seems physically like he looks great in this yeah, movie he like he's in, he's shape, in shape and he's rugged yeah and there's like a weird lumber sexual thing happening yeah. like like he looks his, like an ll bean model yeah almost, you know his beard looks pretty good yeah his beard with just the right amount of like white yeah kind of creeping in on the edges kind of sexy in yeah this movie. yeah <laughs> unexpected um 
in the uh, interviews around this movie too, he looks very trim. Yeah, I think I think he was physically and mentally uh, in a really good place during during this movie, and it shows. Yeah, I really like the steak porn scene. You know oh, where where, they, where they yeah cut the slice of meat right. off the off the venison, the, and then she she says to Cage as he's like cutting the <laughs> shanks, which I think is a I don't know if it was improvised or it was in the script, but this line is great. She goes. You use that knife like an artist's brush. Yeah, it's, I loved that it's really too. good, and and yeah, so I like that scene. And yet that that moment of dialogue comes. That lady's just chattering through yeah. that whole film. It that whole scene. It doesn't feel fake. Those people seem like they have a relationship and everything. Like you don't see. The, it doesn't add anything beyond characterization. They never show up again. But like, it's great. Yeah, really and then same thing with the guy in the like gas station or in uh-huh. the or in the drugstore too. Yeah, he doesn't. The scene lasts maybe three minutes, and he doesn't show up again. But it is so important to the idea of like who Joe is, and it's like I was saying before, like the characterization of Joe through his interactions with just other people in the town. Yes. Well, and and the sense that that everybody knows everybody. Like it, it really gets down to the like small town kind of vibe. Cause everybody knows who he is because they all just, they, yeah, they, you get that sense of familiarity and, and history, shared history between everybody, which really adds to the movie. Yeah. Um, there was, I think one of the craziest sequences that I've seen in a movie in a while is when cage goes to like the, the brothel (laughs) and then he like the dog starts barking oh this is this is also the movie with the famous scene where he calls the dog an asshole but after that in the next scene he goes back and and then he like yells at the dog and like freaks out because the dog's barking when he first walks in so then he goes back he gets his pit bull brings it back to the house and then basically just lets the dogs fight to keep them occupied. So he can get a blowjob. So he can get like the weirdest stylized <laughs> like blowjob scene, <laughs> which is like, and then I, I like how as soon as he's like finishes, he just gets up and pulls his pants up, walks downstairs and then he like calls his dog over and then you see the camera pans over and you see her dog like dead in a pool of its own blood, like in the kitchen. And then he just leaves with his dog. And then that's like the end of the scene. It's crazy. That scene is crazy. Also, I mean, while he's getting blown, he he like comes in, he says something. He's like, he's like, hi, like what's your favorite color? She's like red. He's like, blow me. And she's, and he goes, let me just focus on the snowflake on the snowflake on the wall. And there's like a weird Christmas decoration just on the wall. And he stares at it for like 10 seconds comes and then goes and gets his dog. It's bonkers. Something I thought was interesting, a, a thing I've never seen in a movie before, or just a thing I didn't know about too, is like their whole job is going is deforestation for lumber companies. So like lumber companies, if a lumber company wants to to cut down trees in an area, the trees need to be proven to be like sickly be to be like they're ready to get cut down because they're they're dying or dead and so they outsource to these like more under the radar outfits like joe's to go in and poison the trees uh which is fucked up i didn't know about this and the way they do that is with they they're called juice hatchets which they're axes that like pump poison from like these things in their backs and they like that whole, they look like ghostbusters, like proton. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean, all of that was, was really, yeah, that was super fascinating. We should also talk about, uh, Gary Palter. I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. So this, when this movie got released, it got some weird press, like an unexpected press because Gary Palter, the actor who plays, uh, Ty Sheridan's father in the movie died. Um, and he was a guy who, uh, was, they found him as a, he was a street performer, like literally found him on the street and, uh, he came in and was auditioning for another role and David Gordon Green was like, oh, well, we read for the, the father and he's fantastic. He's like, this is his only, the only movie he's ever been in and will, will ever be in. And it's, it's a 
just really good performance. I know. It's it, heartbreaking. It's amazing to me. This is like best case scenario of that like apocryphal story of casting someone yes. off the street. But it really is like it's hard for me to imagine any other even like semi well-known actor that I'm sure they were going to put in this role. Oh my God. Like could just would not have been able to to do it. And that's what they said too is that they're like they're they're like all of this stuff like this guy's lived this stuff. And the the studio didn't want it because he he's an alcoholic and trying to make his life better, but he's still like struggling. And they they were really wary about him being cast. But uh, it's amazing. And Cage, in one of the interviews I watched, tells this a really heartbreaking story about he was like hanging out with Gary Palter and and he was like, hey man, you just need to hang on for like a year. Just hang on for a year because when people see the performance that you're giving in this movie, you're going to get work. People are going to start calling you. And he said that Gary Palter was like, started crying and that he was like, he was like, really? Like, you think that's true? And it's like, and I think it would have been true. Yeah, I a hundred percent. This guy, this guy had, a, this guy had a career ahead of him, yeah. I think, based on this performance. And, and, and it's a shame that demons like that you know, someone can fight with them for so much of their life. And, and even when they finally are being given like positive reinforcement for something that they're doing well and they have a new lease on life that, you know, like you're not really out of the woods yet. Well, how would you even believe that that was a reality? Even like being in this movie and like, I mean, he, he didn't, he wasn't alive to, he died, I think like two weeks before it came out. And it's like, it was, it was two months after production wrapped. Oh yeah. But still, yeah. But just like, how would you believe that that was even a reality? I I don't know. I, yeah, it's like, it's it's like a legendary, like one shot performance. Like it's just, it's so, it's so good. All the acting is good. Ty Sheridan is really good in this. I love him in this. I really liked him in mud. He is a, caricature of a cardboard cutout when he plays cyclops i i haven't but seen him as cyclops, it, it's but it, that I is mean, a thankless role though yeah it really is and also he doesn't try at all really? um the movie was bad in general i haven't seen the new one i'm talking about the one that came out a couple years ago which one there was like the, the uh, new one is dark phoenix and then yeah, it was, was um, it apocalypse, apocalypse. Yeah, yeah 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 apocalypse was just not not, not good. good um and he was not good in it but i don't think mm. that's entirely his fault yeah but yeah i oh, was in ready player one too right I, I that's that. right yeah i didn't see that one i have really no interest in that kind of movie yeah. but um but man he acts the fuck out of this dude he is so good in this yeah, movie it so is real. incredible and i've said this before especially with Cage's uh, adolescent co-stars, but especially in in roles like this, you have to be so careful Mm. to cast the right kid because otherwise the entire movie fails. When when, When you have a child or teen actor in a principal role in a film, that is, in my opinion, of the utmost importance to cast that. Yeah. Like, Dude, I mean, I I don't know, man. Ty Sheridan in this movie was like in in a movie full of great performances. I was like blown away. Yeah, by he he is. It's fantastic. The subtlety and like the emotional. It's so hard for someone to like get across. You know the kind of like emotional beats that it takes when you are playing a role of like an abused child. Yeah, I mean, it's like. I mean, I don't know Ty Sheridan's home life. I'm assuming, you know, his family wasn't this bad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or anywhere close to it. Um, but yeah, it's just like, where do you, it's like, it's like he pulled, it's like he pulled it from the ether or something. Cause I, I don't know how a 15 year old can like come across with this kind of life experience. Yeah. Is this real? You know, going back to, I, I don't have any big statement to make about this, but I just, just thinking about like masculinity, this movie being like an interesting, you see so many different way, t- ways that people in this movie sort of carry their masculinity. And his, he is a young man who is having to shoulder the burden of being the responsible um, a responsible male figure in his family of being the only one who's working to support his sister and his mother. But most of what he's doing on screen is 
sort of reacting to Cage. Like it's a very reactive performance, but he's carrying this weight of responsibility and this sort of, I don't want to say awe of Joe, but just sort of like you see him wanting to please Joe and wanting to sort of, to just just yearning to be in whatever, what he sees as a more stable situation. And that's such a quiet performance. It's such an interesting, like he, I mean, he gets some, a couple big moments of like, like beating that dude up on the bridge and shit like that. Which also is not something I see in many movies when it's not played for comedy is a, is a kid beating up an adult. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing that I don't see on screen very often in like in a, in a non comedic way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a very reactive performance. He does a lot with silence and just, just facial expression and stuff that, uh, is just, it's great. It's, it's so subtle, but, uh, it's says so much. It's the kind of subtle, like I'm saying it's a reactive performance, but what it's so, so much of what he's doing is pretty stone faced. And that's what, in a way that's very, true to teenage boys, a teenage boy who has to put on a brave face. And uh, I also think that we've seen Cage play more and more father roles, but this is really the only one that felt real to yeah. me. Yeah, I 100% like almost cried when yeah. they, you know, when when they had the, the last moment on the bridge as Cage died. Yeah. And also, you know, it was a really fun part of the movie that was like, Tonally kind of a left turn that I think was necessary at, at that point in the film. Hmm. But that that montage where they're looking for Cage's lost oh, dog. Oh, God, I love that sequence. And then, like, it becomes almost a buddy comedy yeah, they're just for a couple out. minutes. They're just hanging out, well, they're like, driving drinking. down. They're day drinking. They're, like, driving down the road together, playing music in the car loud and, like... Dude, I love when they go to that place where it's just a bunch of boats just yeah. on land. I don't. There's yeah. no explanation for what that is. It's just, like, a a boat graveyard cage's character tells a story that or t- is saying this giving this monologue that apparently was actually like david gordon green heard cage saying this actually to ty sheridan he's like do this in the movie where he's saying he's like okay you want to if you want to make a cool face a cool face like somebody who's cool you make a face like you're in pain and then you smile through it (laughs) (laughs) which is such a fucking cage thing to say but it's just like i I loved that moment i love then that there's a you see them looking for the dog and then ty sheridan is like uh, maybe we should look for where y- you were when the dog ran away. He's like, oh no, the dog ran away. You won't be there. <laughs> it's like They go there and of course the dog's there. Right. It's wonderful. What did you think about the ending? The like, uh, not, not uh, Joe dying, but the, we, oh, the, that we the, get the last scene thing. Yeah. Things yeah. get super heightened and, and Joe yeah. has to, you know, uh, Ty, Ty Sheridan's sister gets kidnapped, basically kidnapped oh, by, oh, that, by yeah. their father and sold, uh, it's like a teen prostitute to, uh, the, the ex con and, uh, or who's been, uh, dogging both of them throughout the film and puts on a terrifying bunny mask. It's like, it, yeah, it, that that last part got almost like Lynchian. Yeah, it, in in the way that it was, the whole thing just filled me with like such anxiety yeah. and dread, having to like watch that whole interaction. And tonally, it was such a shift. He pulls it off, I think, through the editing. Yeah, I, definitely, definitely through the editing because it's not made like a big horror movie show of no. like, look at this sicko yeah. who then puts on a creepy bunny mask right. and it's and it's creepy and he's yeah. mentally deranged. He shows just enough for you to get that reaction, right? While also still, while still grounding it in reality enough. I mean, it's it's pretty extreme, but. It doesn't feel exploitative. Well, because he pulls the mask out and then it cuts away. And then when Cage comes back to him and he pulls him out of the truck, he's already wearing the mask when he throws him on the ground. (laughs) So you don't get the like over the top, you know, watch this creepazoid put on a bunny mask. Right. You don't see him really, really menacing that girl in a way beyond kind of just enough for us to be, to know what's up. I also, I love that 
that guy gets the shit kicked out of him I love like it, yeah. three or four times. And then he's like, he's like, man, I went through a windshield. Yeah. What are you going to do to me? Yeah. He says that like a couple of times in the movie. He's like, uh, he's like, I went through a fucking windshield. <laughs> like as if that proves that yeah. he is like somehow like a badass but or he just like a instantly gets his ass handed to him every time. And uh, another nice touch that I thought was interesting was like, you can see Joe about to fly into the rage and then he points the gun at, at one of the like goonies or henchmen and he says to him, I don't know you mm-hmm. get out of here before I shoot you or something like that. Right? Yeah. 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 And then, and then like he lets the, he lets like henchman number three, like run away into the woods. And I thought that that was an interesting way to kind of just really drive home the fact that like Joe is at heart a good guy yeah. and he's only doing this because like circumstances have pushed him to yeah, it. This isn't about vigilante right. justice. It's just in, in the set in the way that like a death wish movie is. It's just, he's trying to, to stop this bad situation and he gets shot for it. Yeah. He gets a gut shot um, by that guy who we don't even know the name of it. It's like, yeah, it feels real. Mm-hmm. Man, feels good to talk about a good movie. I know. I I was so excited to do this. Like, this. This was great. Uh, next time we have Rage, <laughs> d- directed by Paco Cabezas. Carrie two. <laughs> Unfortunately, not starring Cage as Carrie. Oh my God, so good. Um, so I I don't know I don't know what like quality wise what we're in for for the next run of things we've got <laughs> rage left behind dying of the light outcast the runner pay I'm, the ghost it's gonna be like oh it's gonna be bad we are, for a while. We are going back into the hinterlands yeah. but this i'm this, kind of psyched for left behind because i just think that because that that whole premise is just bonkers in general yes. we have, uh, I have a guest for that too oh great great um, great and also um you know i just i want to see cage in that situation yeah. I think he'll do something interesting with that material, hopefully. This, so Rage is a Russian movie? It, it looks it, like. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll find out. Oh, maybe not. I guess it just had a Russian title for some reason when it was first announced. So bef- before we close out, I have a couple things to add. First, um, from from the interview that I, one of the interviews that I watched, which was from the South by Southwest premiere of this film, they had the q and I'm just going to play this with, just let it stand. Uh, I heard you learn Japanese. I'm Japanese. So, konnichiwa, konnichiwa, Nikola-san. I'll write a poem for you right now. Uh, Shiro Yama Ishiaka. Thank you. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Domo arigato. Oh, my God. What? If anyone speaks Japanese, uh, maybe write in and tell us what Cage's poem said. Uh, I, <laughs> also, in the news, uh, let's check in with Weston. Oh. Um, as of 2014, Weston is sober, turning instead to meditation. And through his meditations, he's communicating with other dimensions. Great. Uh, which is informing his music. Oh. Uh, this is when his first album prehistoric technology was released featuring the single <laughs> sorry fe- fe- featuring the single tell me why parentheses matriarch of misery uh, <laughs> is, th- is this a metal album Did oh, he- oh, okay oh yeah so he so he stuck with his metal roots yeah the interview that i watched of him he's in like full corpse makeup oh my god um but he's not only sober but uh nick he just made nick cage a grandfather Oh, um, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I heard about that. Which is great. Is, is, this is Cage's first grandchild. Yeah. yeah, obviously. His other kids are, like, not that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kal-El is, like... Is, like, 15 yeah. or something. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, he, he says that Cage is a great grandfather, um, and or, or a wonderful grandfather, and that is, I think his child calls him either grandpa or, like, no, 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 or no, no. I don't know what the oh, okay. what the Italian for grandfather is, but it's that. Also, it, she, the interviewer, asks him what the first Nicolas Cage movie Weston is going to show to his son is, and he oh. says, "Sorcerer's Apprentice." 
oh, no. because it has good messages about uh, the use nope. of, of magic. Nope. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's the Weston update. Join us next week when we. Anything else to add? Now this movie ruled. This Anyone that great. hasn't seen Joe, go see it. Seriously, one of the one of his best performances ever. I think when people look back on his career, this one is going to like gain in estimation. And if for for anybody who takes the sort of hacky line of like that Nicolas Cage can't act, this is acting like dictionary definition acting, and he he fucking really kills it. So yeah, check it out and show it to the haters. Uh, I don't know, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah, that's important. Like and subscribe. Follow us on rate Instagram. Us, rate us on, on the fucking, on the, the app. Do that. Please. Uh, it, it helps. And tell your friends about uh, this. If, if they want to hear in-depth discussions about why, movie, why a movie like this is really good or why a movie like The Frozen Ground shouldn't exist, um, then this is the only, this is the only sh- spot the only one-stop shop. I think at this point, I think we've outlasted all the other uh, cage casts. Yeah, and it, you know, whatever. They were dead to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> all right, uh, till next time. Oh, yeah, cue up that yeah, roar. Got it, got to cue it. I should just build a, like, sample so I can just hit it. And I don't have to mm. refresh the YouTube video and then wait for 30 seconds for it to count down. I can just be like. Fair enough. See you next time. Bye. Bye.